What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Another week, more football, another episode. Hope you've all had a great week up until now, and thanks for tuning in. Again, you know the normal format of the podcast, game recaps, game overviews, some just overarching questions, and then we get into the game picks. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Let's get it. As usual, for this week's episode, we're going to start off with game recaps from last weekend. We'll start with the Clemson versus Georgia Tech game. So, boys, what you got? Sid, do you want to you wanna start this one? or? Uh, I mean, yeah. Um, obviously, the score is just totally uh, – right, Sam, you take it because I, I don't even have anything to say, really, to be honest. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, the game was the game was tied seven to seven after Jalen Camp freaking Euro stepped right by Mario Goodrich, fifty nine yards. But other than that, there was really no no competition. I mean, Trevor Lawrence had almost four hundred yards passing, five touchdowns before halftime. Etn eleven carries, forty four yards, a touchdown. So that's the fortieth game of his career he scored in. He's seen action in 48 career games, so that's that's pretty ridiculous to think about. I mean, he didn't play any in the second half. Uh, Mari Rogers didn't play any in the second half. Had 160 yards, two tutties. Uh, DJ Uyunglele was the only player that didn't play that traveled. Uh, they said he had a sore shoulder, so we got to see Tyson Famachan, who continues to be uh, very underwhelming. But it's uh, – this is one of those games where, where the message was that the, the backups had to be better if that's not a first-world problem. But, you know, this is a unit that didn't do anything against Wake. Uh, they couldn't score the entire second half against Citadel. That's pretty pretty rough. Um, but, you know, there were a few younger guys that got in and played significant snaps. Uh, Trenton Simpson on defense. I mean, he just looks the part. Yeah, I don't want to compare anybody to Isaiah Simmons, but that's – that's sort of the body type. Isaiah Simmons is just like freaky long. His, his arms are like dragging the ground, long legs, just <laughs> fast without looking like he's trying to run fast. And Trenton Simpson's kind of like that. Um, he was tied for the team lead, six tackles. Only played 22 snaps, though. Joe Joe had his first career touchdown wiped off the board. I guess his heel was out of bounds, but ended up throwing him a screen pass, and he scored from 35 yards out just – Dabo was talking about it in this press conference this morning, just looked like knees and elbows flying everywhere because he's he's a huge guy, but he just doesn't really know how to play football yet, at least not the the technical parts of receiver. So it was good to see him get out there, though. Uh, Kobe Pace, a guy that I haven't really talked about a whole lot on the podcast, but I love Kobe Pace. Uh, he got a he got a touchdown on the screen pass, too. Both of those touchdown passes, the Joe Joe and Kobe Pace, came from a, a walk-on, Hunter Helms. Uh, it was a guy that was committed to USF to go play for Jeff Scott. 
And then uh, then we were like, well, our quarterback depth's kind of iffy. He's a guy from Columbia, grew up a Clemson fan. We were like, hey, you can come over here. Um, and he did. He looked really good, actually. Um, he's a guy that will end up on scholarship for too long. And then the other one being Trey Williams. Obviously, we know about Brian Brzee and, and Miles Murphy on the defensive line. But Trey Williams is a, another big boy with a single-digit number out there in the middle of the defensive line. Uh, he's he's going to be really good in time. He's just there's just a freaking log jam on the D line right now. Um, so, I mean, there's there's really not a whole lot to say. I mean, the score pretty much speaks for itself. But yeah, all I have really had to say is I think it was disappointing. Like I mean, we score on a quick play, a long 59 yard touchdown pass, and then immediately the next play we give up a bomb. Yeah. Um, that's kind of been a thing for us this year in games where we're just not prepared to play. Did it against Syracuse. We'd score and then turn around and just leave a guy just wide open down the middle of the field. The middle of the field was a problem for us Saturday. Um, our plan, I think they had a good plan, and their plan was to neutralize Travis, and in the first half they did that. But all, you can't get torched on the back end like we did. Trevor sat there and had whatever time, whatever he needed to do. And, I mean – if even if you don't give him time to make throws, he shouldn't be able to make, and he makes them. So with with time, I mean, he just picked us apart. So that was brutal. Um, I I'm not one like there's people out there like oh the score this and that like I'm of the belief that if you don't like the score, do something about it. Um, stop somebody. I do think there was a message Dabo was trying to send. Uh, it's very clear he doesn't care for Jeff Collins. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I was talking to Sam at the game. I was just like. I mean, you had a gunner, your starting cornerback, a gunner on middle of the third quarter get hurt because he's a gunner on punt team. Why are you doing that? I mean, I get there's a point to prove. I mean, they say it's between him and Paul Johnson. You know, that's kind of one of the reasons why he did it. He doesn't like the way Jeff's going about things. I don't personally think we need Dabo being some type of enforcer of how we go about rebuilding our program, what Jeff says. I get Jeff has a different way. And that can rub people wrong, and I understand that. Him and Paul have actually had that discussion. So I thought that was kind of strange. Like I said, I don't I don't mind running up the score. If you can do it, we have to do something to stop it. But I just thought it was kind of kind of goofy to have that such an issue and 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 be out there with Trevor playing in the third quarter up 52-0 at halftime. I mean, like, Taysom broke his hand. Wrong play, wrong time. That could happen to Trevor. And, you, you, I mean, this game means nothing. Y'all have so much more to play for. So – I don't know. I thought that was kind of goofy. I've never had a problem with Dabo. I still don't really do. I just thought it was kind of, I don't know. I thought it was kind of clownish a little bit, but it is what it is. Very Dabo Sweeney-esque. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I will say is that even after the starters came out, you know, we've, we we tend to be very, very, you know, run up the middle, screen pass to Will Sweeney. We've yeah, got but about going, four plays that the, that the backups run. But going forward on fourth down at, at midfield – in the fourth quarter, fourth and five, going for that. I mean, what do you gain from that? I, I get it. Maybe you get some some fourth down conversions from your third string quarterback or your punter quarterback, whatever it is. I just I, I think he's clearly sending the message. Um, there's also the belief that I mean, we're obviously not recruiting the same guys y'all are typically. Like, yeah, we were in Miles Murphy's top five. So what? He wasn't ever going to come there. But I do think there's a message that coaches are going to want to send that it used to be anybody came into Atlanta and took who they wanted to. And that's not necessarily the case anymore with, with the guy I, we're going into Florida and taking guys that away from Florida and Miami that they're not happy about miles Brooks, stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I think there's also a message he was trying to send of like, Hey, you know, you still know who's dominant here, which that's obvious. So I just, I don't know. I thought it was kind of clownish. So 
I just still don't really have a problem with Dabo, but I, I just thought it was kind of a clownish move. I thought it was pretty pretty interesting bringing in the punter at quarterback. That that part I really didn't really didn't understand. I mean, I get um, they didn't have DJ, but I mean, you could you could run Helms out there, and he, I mean, he played well. You know, still throwing for a thirty yard touchdown pass when you're up sixty, whatever. So I mean. I mean, I, I, it could be a point. He's making a point. But like you said earlier, running up the score is just one of those things that you – know, Like I said, I don't have a problem running up the score. Yeah, it's up, up to us that. to make a – to stop. Like, if you don't like it and you're on that yeah. field, do something to stop it. Yeah. But I do think you can get to a point where if you get somebody hurt, like Andrew Booth, I think it was, that got hurt as yeah. a gunner on punt team. If he it has a season-ending injury, you're, you're looking at Dabo going, what the hell are you doing out there? Because – we we got to be playing Alabama at the end of the year. You know that's going to be the end result. You don't give a damn about beating Tech 73 to whatever other than you're sticking up for buddy Paul Johnson. That's the belief of why he did it. And a lot of people that are, have, are credible sources, that's what they're saying. So I just think it's goofy. But I don't know. That's my rant. Kind of drug, drug that out a little bit. But Hey, it is what it is. I love, I love the intensity against Dabo Sweeney. I, I knew you'd be a fan, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, do you have anything? <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just what he does. I mean, plain and simple. If if he, I, I think if, he, if I, he can, he's gonna beat you by as many points as possible. There's no sportsmanship in it. Well, so. well, I see. I I disagree because he he took it easy on Paul Johnson's end of his years. I mean, if you look, if you want to really look at it, I think he could have scored 65 in a couple of those games, and he didn't. Him and Paul were friends. And it's a known thing, him and Paul are friends. I think that the problem I have with it is it's been said that there's two coaches on our schedule every year that I said if they could, they would score 100 on Jeff. They don't like the way Jeff goes about himself. And I get that. He goes about it a different way. But if – I mean, not too long ago, Dabba was taking over a program and he was kind of doing the same – of you know we want to be this and laying out his idea for the program and I need these guys to be all in and he got beat I don't know was it five games a row to South Carolina and then got 70 points put on him versus West Virginia he was in that position in 2000 whenever you know so it's not like Dabo hasn't been there so I don't I don't get what his issue is with it but it is what it is we got to do something about it so the only the only thing I'll add is that I mean I find it hard to say that it's unsportsmanlike when you have half of your second team defense in with 10 minutes to go in the second quarter. Like we rotate guys so much that it's kind of well, like if well, the I second and third string guys are scoring, I mean, it. I don't, I didn't I don't say really it's unsportsmanlike. Say. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's unsportsmanlike. I, I don't did. have a, I don't have a problem <laughs> with running up the score. My problem is your motive behind doing it. I think, we're in an era where you need to boat race people to show we are the number one team. That's what the playoff has done. Because look what Alabama did. Dabo needed to make a statement. Our, that game meant nothing because the big game was at eight o'clock that night, Georgia and Alabama. So he needed that's to make a, a point. Statement. He needed to make a statement. Okay, if that's your motivation, that's fine. But with all this backstory crap about him and Paul, and he doesn't like that. I mean, Jeff's made numerous. This is the number, biggest transition ever comment that we had no talent all this and that's a result of Paul Johnson and people's opinion and probably Jeff's and he took exception to that and I understand I just think that's a a, a very like we don't need a an enforcer of opinions to show Jeff I don't know maybe it'll humble Jeff maybe it'll do different I don't think Jeff's a 
a guy that's saying, you know, I'm this, I'm that. He's still learning as a head coach. I can, I can tell you what, that that's going to be a big game every year in the future now after after Saturday. I feel like Jeff's going to have his I, I will say the up. other thing, if you're playing, if you're doing that to a team with some very questionable characters out there on the field, which we know there are teams out there, someone could do something stupid. And I'm, it's not – I wouldn't put it past a 20-year-old kid to make a stupid decision and take, take, take a cheap shot on somebody or something when you've got your star guys out there in the middle of the third quarter. I don't think that's right either. I'm not advocating for that. But you're putting yourself in a position to where that, that could be a possibility, and then you look very um, – you, you got some, some questions to answer as to why you're out there doing that. That's my only thing with it. Like I said, I don't have a problem with the score. At bottom line, we weren't good enough to stop it. Fair enough. I guess, uh, Jacob, Jacob, what you got about this, uh, this Auburn Carolina game? Yeah, well, you know, it was, it was a really big game for the whole program, the guys, you know, I mean, the players and, and the coaching staff, everybody. To start off, I got to give a, a, a thanks to Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris for having a horrible game plan and sticking to it the entire game. They kept trying to feed the ball to Seth Williams, which, I mean, he's, he's a really good receiver, NFL guy. Um, I mean, he's going to be playing on Sundays one day, but they kept trying to feed him, and it wasn't working. While they had Tank Bigsby, he only had 16 carries, and he ran for 111 yards. He was breaking tackles left and right. Our guys couldn't tackle him, and they only, they only gave him the ball 16 times. So, I mean, it could have been a different game if they really stuck to that, stuck, you know, let Tank be, be the feature of that game. But – they didn't, and I'm thankful for that. But, you know, talking about this game, you got to start off with J.C. Horn. He had the game of his career. They finally, you know, a team finally tried to throw to throw at him. People know who he is now. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and up up till now, teams have kind of avoided his side of the field as, as a whole. So he hasn't – he doesn't have all these stats that, that some other guys do, but – I mean, he locks down his guys every week, and South Carolina fans know that, but I, I don't think the the nation did, and he kind of showed everybody what he's about going up and just putting clamps, think, clamps on Seth Williams. I think the best stats a corner can have are no stats. Yeah, but a lot of people don't look at it that way, you know. So, yeah, so he, he had those two picks, which were the first two of his career, which, you know, is, is pretty surprising. But, again, he, he hasn't really been – been challenged that much through through his three years here and then his another pass breakup he had was a tip ball that got intercepted by Jalen Dickerson so he he really forced all three turnovers which won us the game in that one so you know kudos to him for for that Auburn win but kind of diving into the game a little bit more it was a pretty sloppy first half at least offensively for for the Gamecocks I mean really the the whole game, the offense didn't play great, you know. I mean, the offensive line played a little bit better in pass protection at least. I mean, and that's probably due to some of the moves we made on the line, moved Dylan Wanham back over to right tackle, which is his best position for sure. We had him at left tackle just because we couldn't – we didn't really have a guy better than him to play left tackle. And then we, we put Jazz and Turner team, which is the JUCO transfer, in there. And he wasn't playing up until now because he was – the coaching staff said he was just out of shape. He wasn't ready for to, to play all those snaps. And he even admitted it when he talked today. He said, you know, it was, it was just him being a fat guy, getting out of shape. So, 
But he he played pretty well out over there at left tackle. Colin Hill played another game like you'd expect him to play. I mean, he went 15 for 24 for 144, a touchdown and a pick, and second pick of the season, another tip ball. Unfortunate for him because he's not really putting the ball in danger, but, you know, he's, he's thrown a couple interceptions now. And, again, he's just not a guy that's going to wow you with these passes or, or anything like that. He's not – a super mobile guy. He's, he's just not a guy that's going to stick out to you ever, probably. But he's also a guy that's not going to throw you out of a game. He's not going to sit here and throw five picks and and lose you the game or or anything like that. Or you know, have a have a Bo Nix Bo Nix s game. Um, Shaw Smith had another really good game. I don't know how he's doing it. I guess. Part of it's just him knowing that he's the he's the only guy that, that we have. Um, but he keeps, you know, showing out. He had seven uh, – he had eight receptions for 76 yards and a touchdown, and the rest of the team had seven receptions for a combined 68 yards. So, I mean, he's just – he's carrying the offense on his back. Well, I guess him and the running backs because both Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick played really well that game. They're guys that – really run well behind their pads, break tackles, and they always seem to be falling forward. Uh, that Kevin Harris long touchdown run got called back on a holding, which, you know, I mean, it, it, it was holding. Like, it was the right call. But then after that, there are some pretty bad holding calls that they didn't call. So, you know, I'd like to see if you're going to call that, you got to call it both ways. But, I mean, again, it was the right call. But anyways, uh, the defense – Played pretty well, I think. You know, there's some things they probably could do better. I mean, Auburn outgained us 400, 481 yards to 279 yards. So, I mean, the Auburn offense really, really outgained the shit out of us. But, you know, it's that must-champ bend-don't-break defense. Between the 20s, I mean, the numbers aren't going to look great. The stats aren't going to look great for the defense. But when it gets into the red zone – uh, the defense usually plays pretty well. Getting getting in third downs, South Carolina's in the tops of, of you know, getting off the field on third down. Um, and, you know, three interceptions again, J.C. Horn, Jalen Dickerson. And those were huge momentum swings. We scored on all those, those interceptions, and that's really what won us the game. Another thing here, Thomas, he came back this game. He was out last game. He had a huge game, eight tackles, two sacks one of the best games I've seen him play personally. And then another guy I want to mention, Shiloh Sanders. He led the team in, with 10 tackles. And he's a guy that hasn't played a lot of football. You know, he started playing, I think, his junior year in high school and then, you know, came came to South Carolina. He's really young in, in you know, football terms. He was more focused on baseball for a long time. And he's really kind of coming in, coming into himself as a player. Um, he looks – very willing to hit, more willing than probably his dad ever was. But I would like to make see him make some plays on the ball. Really, yeah, he looked good. I was yeah. watching him that game. He looked. Yeah. I mean, I mean like he, fly, said, he flies around the field. He's, he's just he's, he's aggressive. Yeah, he's just young in in football terms. Again, he just hasn't played that much, and he's yeah. a redshirt freshman, so he's still got a lot of learning to do. But yeah, he he'll definitely well. he'll definitely get coached up on that. I mean, he he looks like he has some potential. Um, yeah. Just off a couple of plays, I was watching them. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, South Carolina made more big plays, made more plays that they needed to make than Auburn did. So, 
and it's a huge win for the program. You know, is it the biggest win in Will Muschamp's career? No, probably not. Looking at, you know, the Georgia game last year, stuff like that. But it could be the most important game that he's won because this gives the team some momentum that we can build on going to LSU next week, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But absolutely, very, very important game for them. What, so. One thing I'll say the reason why I think Shy Smith has gone off every week is I, I still I still am seeing some drop passes from the other guys like uh, Leggett. I remember one play he dropped one on the sideline. It was a tough catch. But, you know, it was one of those where it went in and out of his hands, you know. Right, you're a D1 yeah. receiver, you got to make that play. You know, I, just, I feel like it's just more of a reps thing. You know, I didn't get a lot of reps in the yeah. offseason. Yeah. Maybe they'll and I mean, start catching those more. I don't know what the deal is with that. And, I mean, Shy even had a couple drops early in the game, but he's just a dude that plays with a lot of a lot of confidence and – He's out there trash talking and he kind of he he get he puts himself into the game by just you know he's always trying to just beat the guy across yeah. from him. He's an energy for that yeah. offense. He brings the energy. Yeah. So uh, he he brought he brought the energy on social media after the game too. Yes, he did. did he? <laughs> oh yeah. He he told somebody to add 24 and get yeah. his little ass out of here. Well, he Ooh. he posted a picture of that jump ball in the end zone that he caught that fade route on the it was a free play because they were off sides, but that jump ball over over fourteen, I think. He said something to uh, him. Well, he said he said I got three little boys now because he actually has a son. Oh, I got three little boys yeah. now. Someone someone at number fourteen's little ass. <laughs> So, and then, so then someone added him in the comments was like, dude, you're not that good. And he was like, I bet I could steal your girl. So he's just, he's a classic. Guy. He's I, a I was thinking about y'all's game. I didn't get to watch it a whole lot, but I was trying to figure out, does it mean, does it tell more about y'all as a program or Auburn? And I really can't decide that because at the same time, I think that's a, like, it's massive for Muschamp to get y'all up for that game and to to go out there and play a solid game. I mean, yeah, you said there's a little bit of struggle on offense and they outgained you, but like, you know, the bend, bend but don't break type deal and y'all won that game. So but then again, I don't know what Auburn where Auburn goes from here because you, you have Gus supposed to be <clears throat> offensive mastermind. And then Bo is just not shown any progression. If anything, he's shown regression. Yeah. I agree. And it's yeah. it's it's tough. I want to, as a college football fan, I want Auburn to be good. I I, I want to root for them in a lot of games, especially against Georgia. I mean, y'all know that. But it's just nice. looking at <laughs> I, I, I mean, Divinity, that's quite clear. You know that. So it's it's tough to sit there and watch that because we've all kind of been talking about Bo and I especially I just don't see him developing a whole lot and you got to wonder what the deal is there. And a lot yeah. of people, a lot of Auburn fans on my Twitter feed are, are very concerned about it. So I don't know where they go from here. So I, yeah. I, yeah. I want to lean towards Auburn, but I, I really kind of think it says more about South Carolina because, I mean, if you look at their schedule there, y'all were, you were talking about it, Jacob, you're, you're trying to find wins on your schedule. And that's, that's a big one to get right there to try to stay yeah. above 500. And that's yeah. what Will I needs mean, to do. I think, I think it says a little bit about both programs, really. I think. I agree. You know, I think South Carolina, it's a, it's a really great win for them, so don't want to take any, anything away from that. Right. The defense played well, all that stuff. I mean, it definitely shows that there's still a lot of stuff that they need to work on. But then on the other side, Auburn just is in shambles right now. I mean, they should I be they should be one and three. 
I mean, I don't know because I mean, you, you don't know who's really even calling the offense. You don't know if it's Gus Malzahn calling the offense or if it's Chad Morris calling the offense or or what. But that both both those guys are big into you know a, a one one two read type of thing, and you could see that from Bo Nix. He he had he had very few reads to go through, and then he would just throw the ball at Seth Williams, and it just wasn't working. So and and that's not development of a quarterback that you'd like to see in his second year. Yeah. And I mean, he had, he had crazy happy feet. Like we, we got some pressure on him. Yeah. But at the same time, he would be in a clean pocket and just start running out of the pocket. Yeah. And then make like, a throw. To yeah. And then make, make that, some um, sort of throw on the run. That, like, that throw. Um, I think it was JC's first pick. Yeah. He dove and caught it. Yep. He, yeah. Bo had a clean pocket and he ran out and he ran out and then made that throw on the run in coverage. Yeah. And JC made a hell of a pick. Yeah. That's I, what I'm I mean, he's seeing just, ghosts or yeah, what right there, but sophomore slump or something. I'm not really sure, but I mean, last year wasn't terrible for him. He he didn't have uh like a killer instinct out there as a QB. Like okay, he's gonna go out there and ball. I mean, he was okay, but this year is just it's like he's just on a down on a downhill climb or descent. You know, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, as a as a freshman, you chalk some of that up to oh, this is right. He's, he's playing SEC ball. Like the game's you know, fast. You, all yeah, the game's that. fast. Yeah. You, you take a little bit of you know with the there's some good and bad there, and you just kind of roll with it. But then, I mean, frankly, he seems to be making worse decisions consistently <laughs> more often this year. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't have that defense behind him exactly. Yep. To help That's, him out. I think the That's comparisons weird. to LSU and Auburn, when Auburn won the national championship with Cam Newton and LSU last year, I think they're insanely accurate because you look at the offensive coordinator, you know, Gus, that was when Gus was up and coming, like creative. He was the offensive guru with Joe Brady. Then you had generational quarterback with Cam and then um, Burrow. And then now all that production leaves and then the next year. So it's just kind of like now Auburn – you have the guy that you thought was this offensive guy, but his offense realistically the past two or three years just hasn't been anything worth noting. So yeah. I think that's concerning for Auburn fans is we have to look at, I mean, yeah, your team goes as your quarterback goes, but you also kind of have to look at a couple of years. Gus hasn't produced a whole lot on the offensive side of the ball. Not what you would expect. Right. The, the thing I think is most telling is that Chad Morris learned that offense from Gus Malzahn so it's like Gus Malzahn you have you have this guy that you've basically been a mentor to now he's he's working for you and the the problem with their philosophy is that they're so focused about tempo they're so focused about number of plays you know doing this and that that they're they're so cute that they really have no have no scheme Gus Malzahn talks about running you know a lot of power and they do run the ball the vast majority of their snaps but the problem is, is that they're so focused on getting cute in the passing game and, and trying to run all these screens and there's all this motion and, and eye candy or whatever the hell you want to call it, that, that they're really not focused on what you got to be, what you got to be doing. I mean, it's, it's yeah. no longer. I, I reading, think that's a good point. You bring, it's no longer reading the defense. You've got it's, a, it's more so, it's more so them getting on Madden and being like, Hey, that play call, all that motion that looks badass. Let's run it as yeah. many times as we can, regardless of whether or not it's successful. Yeah. yeah, I think you bring up a good point. It's interesting to see that, like most teams have offensive minds from different uh, coaching trees. Like you know, 
from all across. But if you've got your offensive coordinator and then he comes stems from your head coaches coaching offensive philosophy, if you're struggling, you don't have any really where to go and get some help from or get some different ideas from. I mean, they're, they're all kind of just big system. And if it fails, it fails hard. And I think you're seeing that. Yeah, I guess let's let's move on to this Georgia-Bama game, obviously last week's game of the week. Uh, Davini, what you got? All right, well, y'all saw the game. Didn't look too great. Started off hot in the first half. You know how it goes. Um, this, this loss doesn't really – I know a lot of people want to blame it on Stetson, which is it's very easy to, which, you know, I think part of – the majority of it is – going to be on Stetson's back, but also Todd Munkin. I, I really didn't understand what he was, what his plan of attack was. But I'll start off um, with Stetson. 18 for 40, 269 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. Last week in the podcast, I talked about this is a big game for Stetson. We're going to see if he was just that guy that was – called upon and to be a game manager or is he actually about about that action and going to step up and get this big win for us and we saw uh which apple fell from which tree you know um it didn't look too good on his part and Todd Munkin I mean dude Ole Miss ran the ball 57 times for 268 yards against Alabama's defense. And in my opinion, I feel like we have a better rushing attack than Ole Miss. And we only ran the ball 30 times. After, you know, the first half, our offense was looking pretty good. I mean, we are running the ball when we wanted to. Stetson did miss a couple couple (laughs) wide-open receivers here and there. Don't know why he wants to – throw down the sideline back shoulder with a guy all over him when Jermaine Burton is running a, you know, five, ten-yard slant up the middle wide open. There was another play where James Cook was wide open on the sidelines on the flat route, and he could have took it in for a touchdown. And we didn't even end up scoring. I think Stetson threw a pick right after that happened. So we had chances to score points every time Alabama did, but Stetson just let us down a little bit. He did. I've been riding him hard. Because he's been looking, you know, pretty good, better than what people would think, but not great. And I was hoping he was going to show more of this game, and he showed quite the opposite, actually. It just, I mean, when you're throwing 40 times a game and you only complete 18, you're not usually going to win. I mean, those stats are not good. Under 50%, you know, it just doesn't look good, even though. Alabama's D-line was coached well coming into the game. I mean, they had seven batted passes because they, they watched film, obviously. I mean, they, all, they saw a majority of Stetson's throws were up the middle. That's where he's most comfortable. And so when they saw Stetson drop back and look in the middle, they threw their hands up, and they were successful. I mean, the first pick in the game was a batted ball from the D-line. They took it right back in the first quarter. So, I mean, even though they had seven batted passes – 18 for 40 is still not what you want. Going back on Tom Munkin, and I don't, it was the first drive in the second half. Alabama got the ball first and they scored. And we got the ball and we were marching down the field. And 
I think we were on their 20 or 25, almost in the red zone. First and 10, we pass it. Second and 10, we pass it again. So it's, we're sitting there third and 10, and we're not using some of the best running backs in the conference. We're not giving them a chance to get yards. I mean, Zamir averaged five and a half yards a carry off 10 carries. Milton averaged seven yards a carry. You know, it's just we were running the ball good in the first half, and we just – it looked like Todd came out with something completely different in the second half, trying to get Stetson some Heisman points. I don't know what he was doing, man. It's just Stetson's not a quarterback where you can just put the ball in his hands and let him dictate how the game's going to go. Clearly, we saw. <laughs> well, which, essentially throwing it to the Wolves. I mean, exactly. He we, did. we saw what Alabama's defense looked like versus Ole Miss, and that put like a – oh, you know, Alabama don't have this defense. But you give Nick Saban a, a, a poor taste in his mouth one week, he's going to make some changes. And, yeah, he had COVID and all that stuff. But, I mean, they still have a lot of athletes, like, on that side of the ball. So you're essentially throwing them into the wolves by getting away from your game plan. So yeah. I, I agree with you. I didn't understand that. I didn't. It, it, it really shocked me because I know he, he's an NFL guy. He wants to have explosives plays and stuff. But you also got to realize who you have a quarterback. You don't have – you know, your JT Daniels, your Justin Fields, your Jacob Eason, who can just sling it from sideline to sideline with ease. Stetson's a guy that really should only throw the ball 30 times a game max. So that that whole thing was very frustrating to me. And also, our secondary just got obliterated. And they had two guys go for over 150 yards, which I know those are two NFL guys. Yeah, those are, those are two stallions out there. That's, I mean, that's some horses they got. They, yeah, I mean, it reminds me of LSU last year with their two guys. I mean, they They're going to get their yards. They are, they're they're going to get yards. I knew they were coming into the game because Alabama's offense is really good. They have one of the back, best backs in the country, best receivers in the country. Mac Jones is a solid quarterback. He's clearly made his Heisman Kansas seat a lot stronger now after that game. It's just very frustrating to me when we, you know, everybody hypes up our defense going into this game, which we do have a good defense. But when you give up 600 total yards, almost 600 total yards to any team, you're not really considered a great defense. And our secondary just really didn't look good at all. I mean, there were a couple plays, like the one at the towards the end of the game where Tyson fell down and Waddle took it for. 90 yards, he displayed his 4-3 speed right there. He might – I mean, he can break a record at the combine. That man is so fast. He scored in, like, four seconds. <laughs> and it just – and Dan Lanning, their defensive coordinator, he just didn't help these corners who are on islands with these really good receivers. And I know Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell are really good corners, um, which you've seen in the games before, but – I mean, you got it. You got it. with receivers like that. You have to have help over the top, a lot of a lot of the times. And it just they were on an island out there, and they got torched. I think I think when you're playing a team like Bama, that's so explosive offensively, your your best defense is to run the damn ball. If you yeah. can possess the ball, keep your defense on the sideline, make sure that they got plenty of plenty of gas. Yeah, I mean it's that's that's your best way to cover them is to keep them off the field. Especially if you I can agree. run the ball as well as Georgia can, yeah. I, I think that was. I mean, in my we we were we talked about Zeus at to an extent last week. 
last this past week he looked much shiftier. He looked he much best he's looked all year. Yeah, yeah. He, he and did. he did. And then all of a sudden, I think it's like my problem with some coordinators, and I I'll never understand it because I guess I'm not one. Is you get off track a little bit, you know, you give up a big score or you turn the ball over once. It's like they just get away from their game plan or they just totally alter everything. And then either that's going to be really good or a lot of times it turns out to be, um, you know, a negative yeah. thing. And that's what happened. I, I don't know. I guess I, I won't understand that. But I, I think, yeah. I mean, I mean, looking, just looking at the running backs, the running backs alone, not counting, you know, Stetson Bennett or Jermaine Burton got a little, a little rush in there, but running backs alone got 23 carries. Zamir White is a guy that needs 20 carries alone when he's playing like that. He had so 22 just, against Tennessee and was far less effective. Yeah, he had the exactly. same amount of yards with 12 more carries this week. Wow. Exactly. Last week. I mean, it's just it, – I don't understand. And James Cook came back, you know, this weekend. Munkin utilized him very well. He could have had more receiving yards because Stetson missed him wide open on one play. And I, I do like that aspect of it in that game. I, do I will say y'all used him good. much better this week. Yeah, we should utilize him like that every game. I mean, he's a guy yeah. that you can have yeah. in the backfield and can torch. Now, maybe this is the first time he's been full healthy, full go, um, because I know he sat out last week. They said they could have used him or whatever, but maybe this is the first week they used him, uh, you know, with full full go. And I thought y'all used him really well, but then got away from it. Like, like we talked about. Yeah, it's like they were thinking too hard. I mean, the, the numbers were right there. Just run the ball. I mean, they're like Samson, their time possession, they beat us by like eight or nine minutes. Even the it's throws, even the, the passing plays that Monkin was calling were high percentage and, and very, um, uh, like, very good situations for the sets and be throwing the ball. James Cook running a wheel route up the sideline with a linebacker trailing yeah i mean that's that's a high percentage throw for stetson they were had a very good game plan i thought yeah that's why that's why i said it's it blame to me is on munkin and stetson together i mean i mean really even our defense because i mean they didn't look near as good as they should have but i mean it's just stetson didn't miss a lot of throws he tried to force stuff and that's what i was going to bring it to is he predetermines his throws before he snaps the ball and you clearly saw it there's like four or five plays where he had guys wide open and he didn't even look their way because before the snap he knew where he was going and he also threw it in the one time he threw it in a triple coverage and that was the that was the play that um james cook was open on the sideline because he wanted to go to jermaine up the middle right there and i just going forward if we want to make a shot at the natty, Stetson is not going to be the guy, unfortunately. I think JT is going to have to step it up and practice and take a couple more hits, get that confidence in that knee, and realize what he has. Because I feel like that is the missing piece in our offense is a, a guy that can throw it 40 times a game and complete it 25, 30 times, you know, and yeah. make – smarter plays, use the check downs. Because he was in an offense at USC, and that's, that's what they are over there. They're air raid, you know. And that's what Tom Munkin, uh, his philosophy is, air raid with a guy that can move out of the pocket if pressure is coming. So, I don't – Maybe really, that's why he didn't work out in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's 
It's just, man. Well, the, I There's always something on here that news. Connor is not going to be a fan of. <laughs> well, you know, I think the, the good thing about this is that y'all – Y'all had a good game plan. The first half went went real smooth. And then in the second half, things kind of went off the rails a little bit. Like you said, like Sid was talking about, once they get a little off the rails, next thing you know, it's a freaking train wreck. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's not good. But the good news is all y'all got to do is, is hopefully Florida won't have COVID for the rest of the year. But <laughs> if they do, y'all are locked to play Bama again. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we got a bye week, and I think the will. other good thing is, you know, like you saw really good coaching on Alabama's then. Something as simple as getting your hands up as a defensive lineman because you know Stetson has trouble throwing over the line. How many batted balls do they have at the line? So they were, they were seven. seven yeah. Yeah. So they have been watching film, and that's something they obviously coached this week. If you're not oh, going to yeah. get to him, get your hand up. And yep. that was effective. So, I mean, that now you're getting a lot of film on Stetson. There's going to be things that teams start throwing exotic coverages and stuff. Yeah. So that's another progression that Stetson's going to have to work through if he's going to be the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it looked like the first half, like you said, was, was pretty good. I mean, Georgia went into half with a lead, correct? Like 24, 20, I believe. Yeah, 24-20. Yeah, so – and then I felt like once Alabama started – once Alabama took the lead back, it almost seemed like the coach staff got a little scared and, and tried to put the game in Stetson's hands, and it just yep. – he's not that guy. He's yep. a good quarterback, but he's just not that guy that's going to sit there and just, just punish a defense. And so, it really backfired. Yeah. Hey, don't kid yourself. There are a lot of nervous people at halftime. Well, dude, I, I, I sent you all I sent you all a Snapchat. Um, I won't say the rest of the Snapchat, but I said, <laughs> you know, we're up, we're up at half, and been here before. I, been here before. I mean, t- the last two times we played them, we were we were up more than four points. So now that you point that out, I'm curious: were there more nervous Georgia fans than Alabama fans? Because Probably. they're like, shit, Probably. we've been here before. Probably, I was like, seriously, after halftime, I was like, this is deja vu. We're beating a good team going in a half, and it just happened again, you know? It, Nick Saban is also a master at halftime adjustments. He is. Yeah. And we usually are, so, too. Yeah. So, That's the thing. We usually come out better in the second half. Yeah, so Nick Georgia, Saban Georgia continues. had to match that, and they, they, they didn't this game. Yeah. Nick Saban continues to show that they're almost unmatched when it comes to coaching and yeah. in, in, in-game stuff. I mean, just towards, it's impressive. Yeah, it is. And towards the end of the game – I feel like, uh, to me, the score was a lot worse than it, than it, it should have been. I feel like we yeah. should have only lost by yeah. a touchdown because at the end there, you know, Stetson had a pick. We had a, a penalty. They scored off that. And then that um, P.I. call third down where Eric Stokes yeah, uh, did what he's supposed to do and push him to the sideline. Yeah, yeah, that was um, soft. I texted and I was yeah. like, "That's a soft call." It, it was uh, to me, it was a terrible call. But it is what it is. I'm not gonna get mad at the call. Um, they only yeah. would have kicked a field goal right there instead of scored a touchdown. Their last touchdown, Devontae Smith made a heck of a catch. Yeah. Dude, yeah. who Eric who all over him? I know this is kind of digressing, but who would have thought that Judy and Ruggs get taken in the draft and Alabama comes out there with arguably more of a home run threat on offense with Mechie, Waddle, and Devontae Smith. It's ridiculous. I, that's, it is. Well, and, and they lost Tua. 
and he yeah. just came in there and just is doing something. Their tight end is also a threat. I mean, that guy seemed like he was open a lot. And we, had, was... we hadn't even talked about Najee Harris, man. Yeah, 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 exactly. He ran for 150 yards on what was supposed to be the best rushing defense in the country. That's what's crazy is before this week, we were talking about this is a different Alabama team. You know, they're good on offense, but they don't have a deep ball, ball. And then now you're sitting here going, damn, they got a lot of weapons on offense. And Nick Saban made some adjustments and they played a little bit yeah. better defense. So they did. They Y'all want to know something? Y'all want to know something, uh, something crazy about Miller Forrestal, the tight end for Bama? Absolutely. We love these tidbits. He, uh, get, well, guess where he went to high school? I'll give, I'll give you all a chance to guess. Is it in the state of, Georgia. It is. Monroe area. area. He went to Cartersville High School. Oh, yeah, he played oh, with Trevor. Trevor Lawrence. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He played Trevor, with Trevor Lawrence as an eighth grader came into spring practice, and the coaches told him, I-, I think you might need to move positions. So he moved to tight end, and to his credit, was good enough to have, I think, I think he ended up with like a dozen D1 offers. So, wow. Funny how stuff oh. works out. Did not hey, work. he was running around with a bum knee out there, too. He got hurt early. I think on the first play. Of the game. He's a, he's a heck of a I'll, player, though. I'm going to throw in a couple a couple little facts before we wrap the Alabama-Georgia game up. Alabama had 33 first downs in that game. That was the Ooh, first cool. time Georgia had an opponent over 30 since Georgia Tech in 2014. You know, had Tech had 32 first downs in 2014. That was the first time we did over 30 since 2014. Georgia allowed 41 points on Saturday. The first time that happened since we played Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl a couple years ago. Sheesh. Yeah. And I ran mean, into just, a pretty good offense. Yeah. yeah, yeah we I did. Mean. But see, even Joe Burrow last year, they only put up 37. And this Alabama team put up 41. Yeah. Scary um, thing about. James Cook had 101 yards receiving. He became the first Georgia running back since 2003. To have 100 yards receiving. See, that's crazy to me. We all should be. You got so many guys that are versatile. You got to have one that's just, just I'm out of the Sonia back. Michelle didn't have 100 yards receiving at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, dude, that's 17 years. <laughs> what about No. Sean Marino? That man can catch out of the backfield. Um, one for Alabama. Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle went over 150. That's the first time Alabama first time ever. has ever had two receivers do that in the game ever. Mechie, Mechie's just as likely to do it too. It's just like, yeah. And I will, I will end off on this one. A positive note. After all this, we've made three hundred and six consecutive extra points. There you go. Hell yeah. Do not take that for (laughs) granted. Let me tell you, as a tech fan, do not take that for granted because every extra point I am clinching like the whole time. Oh please, God, make it so. I hope the wind's blowing the right way. Yeah. Hey, I did. I, I, I was impressed. I mean, I know it, it, it ended, but that was an impressive rushing uh, touchdown streak on y'all's defense. So, yeah. And the, the PI, it wouldn't happen without a PI. Oh, it's PI, bro. It's, it's PI, PI, bro. <laughs> but seriously, they scored right after that. That was the rushing touchdown they scored on after that call. So they, oh, they could have went the whole game without one. So, so it's very, it's very controversial if y'all gave up the, uh, the streak or not. <laughs> I mean that's the that's the positive thing I can look at for this game. Yeah, so, I, guess. I mean, right, right. Well, with all that being said, we'll go into some game previews for this coming weekend. We'll start off with uh, Syracuse at Clemson. Sam, what you got? Boy, 
Yeah. Um, it's going to be a close one. The the spread opened up at 44 and a half. I think if Davos <laughs> feeling frisky again, we'll easily give them 50. You know, I mean, the one thing I will say is they played Liberty last night or last night. Who am I talking about? Last weekend, Liberty's running back had a freaking field day. They put up 300 yards on the ground. Uh, so the way I look at it, you know, Trevor sort of had his Heisman moment, quote unquote, whatever you want to talk about with the, you know, first half, just light show. So I'm, I'm expecting Travis Etienne, Lynn J. Dixon, basically anybody we got who wants to carry the football to just, to just tow that thing. That's, that's pretty much it. You know, the one thing I will say is this is another, another game where we can basically scrimmage and, and see if we can get a, a receiver back. Uh, Frank Ladson has been, he's been open. I mean, that's, that's a big part of playing receiver, but the other, and the most crucial part is when you are open and the ball comes, you, you, you should really catch it. Um, that's, that's been an issue the last two weeks. He's had big chunk plays. The first play of the game against tech was, I mean, if he would have called it, that would have been 35, 40 yards. I mean, hell, if he could have stayed on his feet, he might've scored. So, and then obviously the one at Miami, another one just right, right in the bread basket and can't haul it in. So that's, that's that's frustrating, but you know you get you just gotta assume that a guy that hasn't played a whole lot he'll he'll get that cleaned up sooner rather than later. Um, staying at receiver, Joseph Ngata, still not a hundred percent. The abdominal strain's kind of lingering, so hopefully, I'm just, I'm just hoping he'll have enough reps um, in the next couple of weeks against Syracuse and and Boston College so that he'll be he'll be ready to go for Notre Dame. And then, you know, freshman E.J. Williams, he's another guy, receiver. He reminds me a lot of, of T. Higgins, just long, lanky, very fluid running routes, good hands. Um, he started to play more uh, in meaningful snaps so earlier on in the game. You know, so I, I hope I hope to see a lot of those guys early and often. Uh, and then defensively, I mean, Miles Murphy is – this dude is unreal. Miles Murphy might literally be the best defensive lineman we have on the field um, at any point already. As a pass rusher, he is – I mean, technically, when you watch him, he's using his hands. If he wants to throw you down, he will. Uh, he's got a bunch of different moves already. I mean, it, the dude, the dude's unreal. Um, so, we're super excited to see him, uh, Brian Brissy, and the rest of that defensive line just absolutely assault Syracuse. So, like I said, if Dabo's feeling frisky, the, the spread at 44-and-a-half is probably – I'd probably take Syracuse with the points, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be another. There's a whole lot to say. Yeah, yeah, not a whole lot to say here. Yeah, so with that, we'll just go ahead and move on to Georgia Tech at Boston College. Um, I'm also not gonna have a whole lot to say just because, I mean, at this point, I could talk about Jameer, I could talk about Jeff, and everything. I mean, it's just repetitive. At this point, we're we're up and down every week. We got to get to where we're you know consistent. And if that's consistently average, I'll take it versus consistent – I mean, versus inconsistently good one week against Louisville and then the next week you look like um, we were a high school scrimmage team up against um, an NFL scout team pretty much. So, I I think personnel-wise, it'll be interesting this week. BC does a little diff- – everything's a little different. They, they huddle. Uh, they're not tempo. They the, – the QB, he actually throws the ball better on the run versus sitting in a clean pocket, which is strange to me. So it's going to be interesting to see what we do on defense. They try to run the ball hard. They're kind of physical. Um, and, the, and one interesting note, and I talked about it to Sam, is Collins actually is getting back 
taking back over defensive calls and, and game planning this week. Um, he said due to COVID, he hasn't really been as hands-on and he's been trying to put out fires elsewhere. And this is the first year that Thacker's really had full reign, making every call, every scheme, everything for the whole prep. And I think obvious that Jeff is not happy with that. So um, he's going back to that. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. I think we've regressed as a defense this year. Offensively, uh, Boston College is going to line up in the gaps, and they're just going to try to trap you in the run game. So uh, they're also going to line up man-to-man, and they're going to play their safeties 20 yards off in center field, and they're going to try to clean up there and challenge you and press man. So uh, they don't blitz a whole lot other than third down. They run some exotic blitzes. Um, nothing special there. So I, I think we got to get the ball into our hands of our playmakers. We did okay getting the ball to Jameer in space. The blocking wasn't great. Um, he, he did all right on a couple plays against Clemson, but um, and then we got to find a way to get Amari in the ball. Uh, our offensive coordinator came out and said that teams have been keying on him, trying to keep him from getting uh, over the top and taking the roof off like he did a lot last year. So um, we got to figure out a way to get him the ball. I think Jameer's kind of taken away from that a little bit with his ability, but uh, I don't know. Other than that, I, I just want us – I think this game says more about where we are as a program than last week, to be honest with you. So I think we got to handle business, get back 500 with Notre Dame coming into town next week on Halloween. So, Yep, and then with uh, with Georgia on their bye week, I'll go into the South Carolina LSU game. You know, as, as South Carolina and Will Muschamp keep winning – the next game is going to continue to be the biggest game of the season. So LSU is, is it's another winnable game like Auburn. It's another game that they're going to have to come out and, and carry that confidence in if they, if they want to win. Cause LSU, I mean, yeah, they're a shell of, of what they were last year, but they still have some really athletic guys all over the field. Offensively, they, they don't really have, or they haven't really established much of a run game thus far. I mean, John Emery is their leading rusher right now with 21 attempts for 137 yards on the season. So, you know, they they like to throw the ball around. They've got some good guys outside. Terrence Marshall, he's their biggest offensive threat probably. But then again, you know, Coach O came out and said that Miles Brennan might be out this week. So that could be huge for South Carolina. You know, unfortunate for him, but huge for South Carolina because his backups who are, who, you know, they're trying to figure out who's going to start are TJ, TJ Finley and Max Johnson, two freshmen. So two guys that they have talent for sure, but they haven't, they have no experience or anything. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Not to interrupt, but coach O is so strange. Like he's like, he might be out for some time. He has a pretty significant lower body injury. Yeah. I wasn't so, really, the so, wording of that was kind of confusing. I don't think he knows really. I think he's just talking, man. Well, he was, he said that they, they thought he was going to be back, you know, today or yesterday, maybe it was. And he was like, he has a pretty significant injury. So it's like, what, what are you talking about? So it's not a bruise or like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he, what he means by that. But then again, you know, they're on pretty much a bye week after the whole COVID thing postponed the Florida game for them this weekend. So they had a little extra time to start preparing for South Carolina, which may play into their favor. But, you know, going back to the offense, it's really Terrence Marshall who 
is is the corner piece of that offense. Arik Gilbert is is their second leading receiver, and he's a really talented true freshman. But you know the keys to the game for South Carolina stick to the run because they have some really talented DBs out there. So with you know every team in the nation knowing that Shai Smith's the only guy we're going to throw to really, they're going to key in on that. I mean Derek Stingley, their freshman, uh, their what's his name. Um, Max Elias Johnson. Ricks, Elias Ricks. Yeah, Eli Ricks. Oh. Yeah, so that they've got two talented guys out there. That'll be interesting to see. But, again, keys to the game, stick to the run. Deshaun Fenwick and Kevin Harris both played well last weekend. So What's new? So feed them Kevin the Harris. ball. Another thing, you know, can Shai Smith get open consistently? Because we need him to. So that's, that's going to be something to watch the whole game. Another one, J.C. Horn versus Terrence Marshall. That'll be very interesting. See if because that's that's the guy they want to feed the ball to, just like Auburn wanted to feed the ball to Seth Williams. So we'll see if 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 you know JC can continue this and have another big game, and then pressure the young quarterback. You know if they're gonna have a freshman in there, the defensive line, linebackers, we're gonna have to bring some bring some different stunts and stuff and and get pressure on them, make them feel uncomfortable. And then you know I think I think it's definitely a game we can win, but it's definitely also a game that we could come out flat and lose. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it should be it should be a good game. Yeah, I think it'll I think it'll be fun just to see LSU's defense. Obviously they're they're a pretty bad unit overall. So just to see if y'all can y'all can bang the run and because their offense, I mean their offense has been pretty good. Um, I mean they're putting up points on offense. <laughs> yeah, and that's I mean that's the key to the this whole game of football is is putting up points. So if you can run the ball on them, keep them off the field, it'll be should be a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean their their defensive line has has not been anything special at all. the The bright spot on their defense is their is their uh, secondary. So, I think running the ball is going to be huge for South Carolina, for sure. But the one thing I will say about Ricks and Stingley both is they're they're not interested in tackling anybody whatsoever. So it's <laughs> almost like you can force feed shot the ball over the middle because one they're not covering him and two. They're they're probably not interested in running him down and trying to make a tackle. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's be interesting. and that's that's where Colin Hill shines is is short kind of slant throws over the middle and stuff like that. So, also another thing I want to add is two straight weeks we've run that little reverse run to carry on Joiner, and I think maybe not this game, but I think at some point they're gonna draw it up to where he throws the ball right there. It would make so, sense. I would hope so. so. Yeah, so watch out for that. Being, so. being the next quarterback, I mean, he could throw the ball for sure. So watch out for that. I think this could be a game that we try to pull that out. So, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Madden Rouge. Yep. Yep. 20, 20% capacity, which is probably plays into South Carolina's favor a little bit, but it's still going to be loud and rowdy out there because, you know, LSU is just. That's They're going to be hammered, smelling like corn dogs. Yeah, that's a crazy neck. Man, I, it's a crazy I, I, place I to play. I don't know about you all, but I hate how they do every five yards on their field. I, I brought that up uh, to Sam. I think it was. It pisses me off when I look on the field and I yeah. see a hundred thousand numbers out yeah. there on the field. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just very cluttered. It looks like a damn Excel sheet. <laughs> it does, man. It just well, maybe never, when everybody is drink, uh, under the influence of at least twelve yeah, years. Maybe the fans need some help down there. I don't over there. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. yeah. What's well, between forty and thirty? 
<laughs> Some bits, I guess, 35. <laughs> it's right there and down on the field. <laughs> but oh, yeah, boy. Another winnable game. We'll see. It'll be it'll be huge if South Carolina gets this win again. You know, a, a five and five season would be would be a plus. Especially, especially for this year. Especially, yeah, especially in this augmented season with the whole weird preseason stuff like that. Five, I think, you know, five and five, six and even six and four is is plausible for sure. I mean, really, all the rest of the games on the schedule are winnable if we come out and play, except, you know, Georgia, I think, is probably one of those that you're probably not going to win. We thought that last year, too. Hey, yeah. They play them on the field, not on paper. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We got to get past LSU, take it one week at a time, and, and you know, go from there. Well, moving on, um, taking a look at, some some questions we've thought up. I, there's a couple on here, but I think there's one. I'm sure you guys have looked at this. There's one that I really want to get into. I feel like we'll probably spend some time discussing this. So Sunday morning, when I woke up, I, I got on Twitter, and the first thing I saw was um, some SEC fan account that compared the records of Kirby and Mark Rick in their first four years taking over Georgia. And it's been said, you know, basically year after year how eerily similar things are so I went through and, and did a little bit of uh, research on my own um, so I've, I've got their overall records um, Kirby obviously 16 through 19 is his first four years and then Rick took over for Jim Donnan in 01 so 01 through 04 would be his first um, four seasons and, and basically the ranked opponents are at the time so basically leading up in that game week not where they finished uh, so Kirby was it's, it's 44 and 12 Coming into this year, 12 and nine overall versus top 25 opponents. Um, in 2017, they were four and two, obviously losing to Bama in the in the national title and and uh, in Jordan Hare. And then last year, five and one with the SEC championship against LSU being the only one. Obviously, seven and four overall versus top 10, two SEC East titles, and then the 2017 SEC championship. <clears throat> I compared that to Mark Rick, um, who just by the virtue of how their seasons were set up played a couple of uh, 11 and 12 game seasons uh, but he was 42 and 10 12 and 8 versus ranks obviously one one less game one less loss he was 5 and 0 in 2002 uh, their SEC championship season 2 and 2 in, in 2004 he was 2 and 3 against top 10 teams I think that's where the biggest discrepancy comes Kirby's played a lot more and he's won more games so the um, but both have two SEC East titles both have won SEC East Championship in their first four years. Both recruited really well. Um, so, I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels there. But, like I said, the biggest one is being that Kirby. Kirby's seen more top ten teams by virtue of playoff and how the how the postseason is set up now. But the, the idea that he can't win the big game is still there. I think it is important to note that Kirby is 0-3 against Bama. And Rick, in his tenure at Georgia when, when uh, Florida was the – the top dog in the SEC, he was two and five. So there seems to be one big roadblock for both of them, but overall a lot of success. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's – I saw – I actually saw a tweet like that last year after – it was like during the season last year, the same type of thing. Their records were scary similar too. And what you just said, they are – I mean – 
I, I don't have anything against Mark Rick. I think he was a hell of a coach at Georgia. He'll go down as one of the best in school history, in my opinion. You know, the, the recruiting, too, I think Kirby is a better recruiter in the first four years. Um, I don't know. Did you look up the uh, classes ranked for Rick? Rick, his first four years by chance, Sam? No, I didn't, but there is no way St. Rick is even close to what Kirby's doing. Yeah. So, I'm right now – Impressive. Really yeah, impressive. It is. Right now, I would I would say, you know, there's no – there's not really a difference between their first four years, honestly. I mean, Rick did good. Kirby's doing pretty good. But the, the big game factor is – you're right. It's in the back of it's in the back of my head. I mean, it's in the back of most UGA fans because we. But I, I I don't necessarily think it's the big game though. I mean, he's seven and four against top ten teams. Yeah. Twelve and nine against ranked isn't that great? But well, you also got to think. I guess I'm it depends saying, on what you're calling a big game. I'm saying my the big a big game to me is is Bama. You know, is that you play you can play a top ten team during the regular season. I, my big game is the SEC championship, and. Your playoff nice games. Shot, your playoff games. Yeah. You know, which fair enough. So it's hold on. Is this the first regular season Bama matchup y'all have had under Kirby? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So outside of that, I mean, you've just matched up against Alabama in a national title and an SEC championship game, correct? So yes. I so if you want to say big game, I guess you really would have to look at playoffs, conference championship national championship, all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, so, that, that's definitely what. But I, he has won a Rose Bowl in a playoff and yeah. a, a conference title against Auburn. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it's hard to go back and look at the teams. But, you know, um, I think it's I think that's a great comparison. I still think Kirby's going to have the better resume uh, at the end of his tenure than Rick did. I mean, I think when you look at the recruiting piece of that, like the school recruits itself, right? Georgia has a floor when it comes to recruiting, just about. I mean, unless you've got an absolute deadbeat in there. But what Kirby's doing is just different, you know, on a different level. So I do think Kirby will end up very much different than what Mark Rick did and will be seen differently. Because I, I, I do think Mark was a little underappreciated towards the end of his, what he was, what he was doing there, towards the end of his career there. But I think Kirby's doing is on track to do uh, yeah. uh, bigger things. I think that scrutiny towards the end is because a lot of people a lot of frustration compared it compared it to the, his first half of being in yeah. Georgia. First half in Georgia, you know, we just talked about his record; it was great. And towards the end, it kind of just faded away a little bit. Now, do y'all? I think agree? it also has to wear on a fan base when you're in contention and you're preseason top five yes. every year, and you just can't get into it so I do think that the playoff lends itself a little bit better to Kirby because you know at that point in time when when Rick was there obviously Florida was going crazy I mean yeah Bama hadn't even Bama was nothing at that point yeah um, but you still had you know LSU a few teams in the early to mid 2000s so the SEC was still really good um and he didn't have the you know he, he wasn't able to get into the you know to the playoff at, at number four Right, because there's there's a few seasons where Georgia ended up in the top five. So you got to realistically look at it as that's a playoff team. You get in there, I mean, you, you never know what could happen. That's true. Yeah. 
Do y'all agree with me in the in the sense that Kirby has kind of been helped out a little bit by the lack of another contender in the SEC East when he took over? I mean, I, I personally am of the opinion that he took over at a time when the SEC East might be its weakest in a long time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think well, this is a kind of getting off on another point, but I, I do think that since Kirby has been there, so since 2016, really since 15, the SEC has not been what the SEC used to be in the sense that the SEC top to bottom you used to have five or six teams that could win 10 games, show up any week, play with USC on the West Coast. I mean, Texas, anybody could get it. And now it's very top heavy in the sense that Bama's a juggernaut. You have Auburn and LSU sprinkled in there that'll have good seasons out of the West. But Georgia has been pretty much the, the, the team in the East. There hasn't you know, been a, a contender in the East other than Georgia. I mean, Florida yeah, just yeah, hasn't yeah. been there. Yeah, and, and hopefully Florida's getting back to it. But the SEC, um, I, I would say, has probably lent itself to be a little bit uh, easier is not the word I want to say, but more, you know, it's bring that up to to discredit what Kirby's doing. I just bring that up, and if you're comparing the argument between him and Rick, I mean, there has been a little bit of a that playing into Kirby's tenure so far. I mean, he he was aided by a little bit of what the SEC East is right now, but I still but think I, what he's doing talent supporting talent is is another thing that speaks for itself. But to be fair, I, I think that that Mark Rick may have had a little bit more to work with just in terms of having a quarterback when he got there. Obviously, Jake Fromm came in in um, Kirby's second year and took over as a freshman. But, um, you know, Kirby already had David Green there. So D- DJ, and he had Stafford yeah, right after too. that. Yep. That's been the one yeah. thing Kirby hasn't had. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, his first two years, Jacob Easton and then Jake Fromm, two freshman guys coming in and starting, and they still have good years. Don't even talk about don't even talk about (laughs) Yeah. Well we can't say he hasn't had them on campus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had one. But all right, we'll move we'll move on from that. That's a whole nother story, please. Let's just move on. Let's let's move on to our our questions. Yeah. Um well, I guess this is sort of a question, more more of a statement, but we'll kind of we'll tie it in. The the question is basically the Big Ten, they're gonna start back this week. Um, Penn State is, is ranked in the top 10. Not sold on that yet. We'll see. But, I mean, is there is there any team in there in an eight-game schedule that's going to come close to, to challenging Ohio State? My guess is no, and it's not going to be close. I, I agree with, yeah. with your I mean, that's, that's emphatic note. Yeah, I mean, that's I feel like that's pretty easy. Not that – I mean, I don't, I don't really – I have no idea what kind of team Penn State's going to be or even, you know, Michigan or a Minnesota, any teams like that. But – Ohio State is just like so far above. It's like a Clemson in the ACC. It's just they're they're just way ahead of all these other teams that I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be close. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you also don't know what's Penn Penn State's gonna do at quarterback, right? So you went through Trace McSorley last year, and what who they yeah, have? They got they got Sean Clifford back. Okay. Uh, they got they got some talent in receiver too. Uh, I think it was number 84. He was that dude that made that crazy one-handed catch last year. I don't know if you all remember that. Yeah, the the big play guy, K.J. Hamler's gone. That's that's who they really force-fed the ball to a lot. Um, Journey Brown, their running back, is a pretty good player. Uh, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try, but their tight end is is one of the – him and Kyle Pitts are consensus top two tight ends in the country. So, I mean, they do have some players. 
but I think that league, that league interests me because if you look at the teams, there's always one of those teams that plays way above their, their level at the time. And I think PJ flex good at getting his team playing above, uh, yeah. above. I think Minnesota's the mm-hmm. second best team in the right. Yeah. And, and at one time it was Purdue. And I, so I don't know where Purdue's gone. I don't know. I don't obviously don't follow them. I don't know what direction they've gone in at one time. They played, Ohio, did they beat Ohio state or they played them really close? Yeah. They, they boat raced yeah. them. Yeah. So I don't know what direction they've gone, but other than Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State, I just don't. I mean, it's not. It's a very. Uh, I don't know. The, the, only, the, the only two teams I watch are gonna or that I'm gonna watch this year because of that is Ohio State and Minnesota, like you said. I mean, they beat Auburn in the Belk Bowl last year. <laughs> they beat the shit out of us the year before. Yeah, Paul Johnson's and, last year. Um, and also one guy that we need, I'm sure we will talk about in some pods coming up, uh, Rondale Moore. I, I'm going to be honest with you. My hot take here is, is Rondale is not the best receiver in that league. Well, you got to think of the guys around him. I mean, I mean fair he's, enough. He's but... playing on Purdue now, but still. Fair did, enough. Did he opt um, out or is he? I think he opted back in. Uh, I don't okay. think. Okay, okay. okay. I'm yeah, pretty he, sure he's he, playing. He, he did when they announced that the Big Ten was uh, playing. Yeah, well, shout out to that man. He's he's a little guy, but he's a beast. He is a beast. Um, but Jacob, I'm glad that you uh you made the parallel there between the ACC and the Big Ten, because I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna go off on a little little tangent about Fields. Y'all can cut me off in a minute, but I'm just gonna say it. So. We look at Fields last year. What did he have? Like forty-one touchdowns, one pick going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said. He's a hell of a player, um, but I think there's a lot to be said for the system he plays in. Yeah, for sure. Let's look at Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins is another guy, not nearly as mobile as Fields, but put up unreal stats. He's got a receiving core. They're just—I mean—they're just flat out better than anybody they play. Yeah. It's very much like Clemson the past few years where you've got one, two, sometimes three guys that it doesn't matter who you play. Northwestern can't cover them. Penn State can't cover them. Michigan sure as hell can't cover them. <laughs> and so, he had J.K. in the backfield last year. Exactly. Dominant offensive line, really good defenses. I mean, the running game is strong. So um, this is a guy that really has to make one read. He's got open receivers running downfield, and he's got the arm talent. He can make it happen. But I, I think that when you look at Justin Fields based purely on stats, I, I'm not saying he is a system quarterback, but I am saying that his system and their talent level above the rest of the league inflates his stats. Because we talk about Dwayne Haskins. He was a, he was a really good, highly thought of prospect coming out of Ohio State, and he has been um, just – he's Don't been terrible fire. for yeah, lack of good. a better <laughs> just been awful and it's because I don't think he ever had to really read a defense and I don't think he ever had to be as precise with his with his throws um that you got to be in the league so while I think Fields is really good uh, I I I do think the stats are inflated there and and it's just because he plays on such a a loaded team in in a league that is very much like the ACC where there's just nobody that can hold their jock so yeah you also got to think about uh 12 gauge Carnell Jones when he came he did in the there. playoff, though, he just yeah. came in in the playoff. I know he just, just came in, but it was the same, it's the same type thing you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just a string. It it's just a string of the Ohio State quarterbacks that 
put up really good numbers and everyone's super impressed with them and they just really aren't that good. Not saying that Justin Fields is necessarily like that because I think he's a really good player. But I think he's head and shoulders better than Dwayne Haskins, but I think there's still the question mark there. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Um, speaking of, of depth in leagues, um, obviously Bama, Bama solidified the, the, the spot as the top team in the SEC. Probably Georgia still number two. Florida, their defense is really questionable. They're probably the third team. Is there a fourth team in the SEC? I mean, is, is A&M going to turn the corner? Is Kentucky good enough to do it? I guess we'll find out next week when they play Georgia. Uh, South Carolina, if they can beat LSU, you win three in a row. You, you get a little string going. Arkansas's look really good. Um, so I'm curious to see what, what y'all think about who's who's probably the fourth team or even the third. I guess we'll throw Florida in there. So what do y'all think about the SEC? Yeah, I mean, looking at Bama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, yeah, Florida lost, but I don't think that's really who who that team is. They got to clean some stuff up, but I I still think they're a really, really good team. But outside of that, I really don't think there's necessarily a fourth team. You know, I, I think I think all the rest of the teams are pretty even. Like any any of those teams could play each other and win on any given weekend. Yeah, well, it's so, for this this it's hard to say during a year like this is because you have to be ready to play every Saturday because you're playing you're going to play a team that can beat you. Like we saw Florida and A and M going into that game. Yeah, going into that game, I thought Florida was going to roll them. We all did. Yeah, and A and A and M upset them. I mean, it's just game. It's when teams aren't ready against an SEC matchup every week because during a regular season you have throwaway games four times out of the year usually. Um, so I just I feel like the preparation is a lot more important this year and. That's why I think we're seeing these crazy games in the SEC as well. That's happening everywhere, though. Like UNC losing to Florida State last week. Yeah. What? Yikes. That's true. Notre Dame, Notre Dame putting up 12 oh. on a defense that, was that Georgia very... Tech absolutely dogged. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Notre, we, we, Notre Dame's we, overrated. We ain't scored very... over 28 points under Jeff Collins, and we do it one time against Louisville, and Notre Dame puts up 12 points. Yeah. It's, it's a weird season, man, it, it, and it's going to continue like that, I think. I do but, think Florida State has been completely going about this the wrong way and not playing Jordan Travis, but that's another tap topic. Hey, it, he might have he might have just got the show, so it, it might be it might be his Ferrari to drive. But well, I don't know if you would consider that program a Ferrari, maybe a uh, maybe a hoopty, a Kia, dumpster on wheels, a Honda Civic, yeah, uh, yeah, Honda Civic, um, uh, a lowered Honda Civic. <laughs> But oh, yeah, get, going back to the question, though, I don't think there's a, there's a necessarily a true in quotes yeah. fourth team in the SEC. I think most of the teams are are good, solid teams, but I think they're all pretty pretty evenly matched, and all of them could beat each other on any given weekend. So yeah, and I think we're going to continue to see that in the ACC. The Big Ten is going to be the same way. Your yeah. your second tier teams are. There's, there's just so much parity there that they could all end up six and six and, well, I guess five and five and lose to each other. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll ease on past that. Going back to the, uh, to the Kirby and, and Rick thing, I, I was interested in, in doing those. So I, I have a couple of other ones. 
where I'm going to give you guys the record record against rank, basically the same information I gave you for Kirby and Rick. And I want to see if you guys can guess who they are. So we'll start off just by saying that both of these are, are active coaches um, in the ACC or SEC. So the two conferences that we cover mostly on this podcast. Um, the first one, and these are their first four seasons again. First one is 36 and 18, 7 and 10 against top 25 opponents. In his third season, he did have uh, a 4 and 2 record against top 25 teams. Versus top 10 teams in that span, he was 3 and 1, had two division titles and one conference championship. Y'all got any guesses for this one? Go ahead. Go ahead and read off the next one. I've got a little something to say. Okay. Uh, and then the next one is first four seasons. Uh, he is he did not coach his first season as a head coach. That's included in this. Uh, that was not at his current school. Uh, but he is 36 and 16 in those first four years, 10 and 7 against top 25 opponents, uh, 5 and 2 against him in his second season. Against top 10 teams, he was 1 and 4, had a division title and a conference championship. All right, so when when I first – looked at this my first thought was Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban but then I thought back to Nick Saban's first coaching stint at Michigan State was not that successful and first season as a head coach not with the school they're at right now I think that I know who it is but I'm going to let Davinian and Sid take take a shot I don't know this, this one's been tough I've been I've been looking at it and I, I've been going through both conferences, really, to be honest, to try to figure this out. I'm, re I'm really not coming to anything anywhere close, to be honest with you. I, I thought I was thinking about Coach O, maybe as the bottom guy. That's a that's a really that's a really good guess. I I, I don't I I don't think that's him. I mean, I know he's won. How many has he won at LSU? One division title, one conference title. That's kind of where I was going. Sounds about right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the other guy, I'm looking at an ACC coach. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Davini. The, the first, I, I haven't even looked at any of the coaches, just because I like going into these trivia questions without having <laughs> having an idea. I just like hearing them. <laughs> With it being the first, a true, true trivia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no the, the, first, the, first, the first thing that when you started talking, the first name that popped in my head was Jimbo. That's but, another really good one. That's um, another really good one. Yeah, but then I also realized that he is like 0-6 against top 25 teams at A&M right now. So that I don't think that could be him. Other than Jimbo, there's not really a name that comes to my head, to be honest with you. Um, Jacob, I think you should go ahead and give us your guess. Yeah, and Jacob, then yeah Jacob, Jacob, Jacob seems to be rolling down the right road here. You go for Let's it. get All an right. answer. All right, so the first guy, I believe, is Dabo. And then the second guy, so Dabo, 36-18, you know, all, all of the stats that Sam just said, I think that's – pretty close to what Dabo did in his first four years. And then the second guy, the thing that tipped me off here was his first season was not at the school that he's at right now. And, you know, I thought about Gus Malzahn at Arkansas State. He had a really good year there. And he's, you know, he's as much as the Auburn people want to fire him. I think he's done a decent job there. So that, you know, I think that those are those two coaches. 
What is it, Sam? I I think I I think you're right. I think you got them both right. <laughs> but um, so so good on you for this. But I want to point out one thing: the the top ten opponents. There seems to be a trend that has continued. Malzahn has Malzahn has been able to knock off Bama a few times. Only for the most part, he's still Lucky well below 500 against top 10 teams. Hey, I'm I'm with you there. Um, so, I, you know, it, it goes to show. I think there's there's something to be said for how you start off because obviously Kirby and Kirby and Mark Rick were far better record wise than than either of these. And and Malzahn had had you know a few really good years early at at Auburn. So that was that's. Jacob, you really had the wheels turning right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm impressed. I'm going to be honest. I went into that kind of blind, and over the past, like, five minutes, I've been thinking about it before we started it, and I had – I hadn't – I mean, I thought maybe Dabo, but I was like, ah, Sam ain't going to give us just one on a tee right there, but he did. I'm impressed, Jacob. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I wanted I wanted to put Dabo in there just to <laughs> juxtapose the, the records and, you know, against ranked opponents and then Kirby. But Malzahn, I started not to tell you his first season wasn't there, but obviously the goal of this was to guess it. So that's that's a big clue. I mean, uh, that's really I, the only thing that 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 made me even think. I wouldn't even think his record is like that at all. But I just went back that, to I went to Coach O just because I know he was at Ole Miss before LSU. So, yeah, 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 that was that was actually a really good guess. I, I hadn't even considered that one. But you know, with that said, we'll. We'll wrap that up. We'll we'll get into this week's picks. We got a bunch of good games. Um, as far as point totals go, this is going to be probably the the best game or the best week slate we've had. Um, so just to recap, uh, Sid and Jacob tied last week. Both had really good weeks. So Sid was actually able to move ahead of me for a second. Davini is still first at twenty nine and sixteen. He and Sid are tied at that record. They both have forty seven total points. Uh, I, I slid down to third. I've had a rough couple weeks here. I'm a game back, but I'm I'm three points behind. Jacob is a game behind me, and he is five points off the lead. So we're all we're all pretty much in there in there pretty tight. So the first game we got a, a nooner, Ole Miss and Auburn. Who sucks the least? <laughs> Divinity, you wanna you wanna you wanna start us off here? Yeah, I will, dude. I just. I don't feel like Auburn's going to win this game. I mean, they should. Their record is showing better than how they've actually looked. Their record's two and two. They should be one and three. You know, Bo did not look good at all against South Carolina. He didn't look good against us, Georgia. And I I feel like Lane Kiffin's going to come out firing because they did get Kind of, I would say it was kind of an upset last week losing to Arkansas, and they only put up 21 points. Um, I know quarterback Arkansas, threw six interceptions. Yeah, he did. And Arkansas's defense has shown that they're going to be a problem in the future. But yeah, I got Ole Miss in this one. I, I have been struggling with this one probably the most out of this game, this week's picks. But I'm with you, Davini. I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I cannot take. Bo Nix, it just kind of goes against what I've been saying all year. I just – I don't trust him, and I definitely don't trust him enough to take him in this week's pick when, you know, it's a contentious race, so I got to be pretty uh, precise with this. So, I'm going with Ole Miss. Jacob, I see you've uh, you've already made a pick, so tell me. Tell well, me what you got. You know, I've been going 
this this might be the hardest pick on the slate this week, honestly. But I I think it is because they're they're two teams that you really don't know what you're gonna get out of them. You know, I mean Auburn, South Carolina beat them last week. Their defense played pretty well against a South Carolina offense that's much improved from last, from a year ago. But Old Miss's offense is is really really good, but they looked really bad. So it's just you don't you have no idea what you're gonna get. So it's just coach versus coach, and I feel horrible about this pick to be honest with you. But I think I'm gonna take Auburn in this one. They've been playing some not great football, and they have to they have to get that shit turned around. And Gus Malzahn is a guy that he's saved his job winning games like this, and you know pulling 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 games out of his ass. Hat tricks. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think this is a game that Auburn's gonna bounce back a little bit. It's gonna That's be a, that says something because you just watched Bo and that tragedy, that whole uh, personally you watched that against your game So for you to well, take he, him the next he, week. He was also throwing against the best corner in the league and JC Horn. So That's why you think after the first one he <laughs> he'd right. get the message. Um so I, I wanna right. I wanna I wanna throw something at y'all about Gus Malzahn. So Gus Malzahn is a guy that y'all may have or may not have, have known this, but in his career as play caller, so since 2006 with Arkansas, there has never been a year um, in which he threw more passes than he ran the ball. So going back to 16, 71% of the time they ran the ball. 2017, they ran the ball 63% of the time. 2018, they ran the ball 57% of the time you guys might pick up that there's a, a trend here that their quarterbacks have not been great either any of those years. Um, Stidham, um, what's his name? Sean White. Uh, nice. And then last year, Bo Nix. Oh, Sean White. <laughs> so you're talking about, you know, 71% run with Petway and um, carry on, then 63% with just carry on. Then last year, 57 when you got Booby and, and Sean Shivers. And now you got freaking Tank Bigsby, who's another dog. And I don't know what exactly the percentage is yet, uh, but there's a there's a bad trend there for Gus Malzahn. I don't like it. You're putting the ball in uh, in Obo Nix's hands, and that has not turned out well. I'm going I'm going Lane Train right here as long as Matt Corral doesn't throw another hundred interceptions. Well, Sean Sean White, I'm talking Mountain Dews, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Oh, moving on. We'll go into the uh, into the Big Twelve. We love picking these games. Uh, we got TCU and Oklahoma. I'm going Oklahoma in this one. I, I I think Oklahoma is is in a point where they're gonna be focused and be ready to go every week to try to win out and keep those two losses the only ones in the regular season. So um, I think Spencer's gonna keep taking some uh, good steps forward. So I'm gonna take them. Yeah, I, you know, in this one, you know, I love TCU. I love, you know, Gary Patterson at head coach. I like their quarterback, Max Duggan, but they just don't really have a whole bunch of weapons on offense. And I think after that, that Texas win, Oklahoma is going to, is probably going to win out the rest of the season, if I'm being honest with you. After two losses, I think, I think they get, get their shit in line. And so I'm taking Oklahoma here. Yeah, I'm going to take them on this one. I got Oklahoma. Yep, um, a lot of lot of consistency there. Obviously, um, I'm taking Oklahoma as well. 
I think the bye week came at a good time. TCU beat Texas. Oklahoma beat Texas. So as as pretty much every Big 12 game is, this is a complete 50-50 ball, but at least we're all in it together. So with that said, we'll move on to the ACC. This is probably uh, – this is the, easily the biggest spread of the week. Uh, UNC minus 17 to NC State. Um, but NC State has been playing – yeah. Sneaky good football here lately. They just lost shocked. Devin Leary. They I was shocked. Him. It was 17. Devin Leary's gone for the year, though, so they go back to Bailey Hockman. So that'll be interesting to see if they can keep up that solid football. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the line um, started out, at, I think it was 12, and jumped to 17 when they announced that, that Leary was hurt. So for that reason and that reason only, I'm, I'm, I'm taking UNC, obviously coming off an embarrassing loss to Florida State. You, Matt Brown, you got to get them boys ready. Yeah, I think yeah. – yeah, I'm taking UNC, well, UNC as well. I think that loss last week is, you know, is going to put a terrible taste in their mouth because they're supposed to be the second-best team in the ACC, and they just lost to a horrible Florida State team. So, I yeah. think I think they bounce back a little bit, and I think they have enough to, to take down NC State. Yeah, not a, not a good look last week. I agree. Um, so, I think Mac Brown and – Sam Howell, they, they want to get it going. They got receivers, so I, I don't think NC State will be able to keep up at the pace they were. They were playing really good football. Devin Leary was good for them. Uh, I watched Hawkman play last year against us, and he wasn't great. I just – I think UNC is going to roll. Yep, UNC all the way. There, there's something about dropping a game you shouldn't drop that seems to refocus everybody, so we'll see. Next one, we got Oklahoma State against Iowa State. These are the only two teams in the Big 12 that even thought about playing defense this year. Obviously, uh, Iowa State had a big win against Oklahoma. I like their quarterback. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just not sure Brock Purdy is going to be able to get it done. Oklahoma State's got one of the better defensive units in the country right now, as uh, shocking as that is. Uh, haven't really played anybody. Uh, they haven't played in a few weeks, actually. So there could be a lot of rust here. I I want to take Iowa State. I really do. I just think there's going to be too much Chuba. I agree. Yeah. Chuba, Chuba needs to show why he is one of the best running backs in the country and having a couple weeks uh, to rest and really game plan for Iowa State. I think Oklahoma State's going to take it right here. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State's going to roll. Yep, I'm going with that too, Oklahoma State. Chuba, Chuba Hubbard needs to have a, a big game, so we'll see. All right, next one on slate, we'll, we'll get into some Big Ten action for the first time of the season. Penn State going on the road to, to face Indiana. Uh, Watt Fillier, Michael Penix Jr. out there for Indiana. Penn State's favored by less than a touchdown here, uh, despite being a top-10 team. I, I think Penn State wins this one. I'm not real confident in this. I think Penn State will win, um, but I don't think they're going to look impressive doing it. Probably a lot of rust for both teams. Yeah, I agree. I was just about to say, I don't think you're going to see much impressive football altogether from the Big 12 or, yeah, the Big 10 this week. So I think it's going to be a a lot of rust, long time not playing football. I think you just got to take Penn State, obviously. Yeah, I'm also taking Penn State here. There's there's a lot of question marks on Penn State, but they're usually a pretty solid team. They got some guys. Indiana also has some playmakers on offense. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm, yeah, I'm taking Penn State. Yeah, Penn State for me, too. All right, so we'll get back into the ACC. We've got Georgia Tech traveling up to, to Boston to play Boston College and Jeff Halfley. 
I'll, I'll start off with this one. I've been I've been going back and forth all day. VC's a three point favorite. There's a part of me that really feels like Georgia Tech can can make something happen here, just because they have the ability to run the football. Uh, and I think I think you'll see Jeff Sims obviously be put in more advantageous situations than he was the past week. Um, so I look back at Louisville and I think, okay, well this is a really bad defense, but Georgia Tech did some nice things. I'm just not confident in their ability to to cover downfield. Uh, Boston College is is not the Boston College we've seen. Uh, they're not looking to pound the ball up the middle 40 times. Um, they they do have a little bit of creativity on offense. I, I think Boston College will win this one, but this is another one of those games where I feel like there's there's so much parity in that second tier of the ACC that you just you just never know. But I, I like I'm going with with Boston College here. Yeah, I, I'm going with Tech for one. Like I said, never pick against your boys unless you're playing. Clemson and then um for two I think Jeff's gonna make some defensive changes this week I'm interested to see him get back into that room and really take over I think his defenses are solid when he's in charge and I, I think that we get we are back to our high instead of being low like we are every week every other week we're high low high low I think we're gonna come out there more prepared and and uh I think we're actually going to put it to Boston College. I, I think we're going to try to make a statement that we're not a team that's just going to be somebody's doormat. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm taking Georgia Tech here. Coming off a really bad loss to Clemson, but they're you not can a say bad, embarrassing. But they're not they're not a bad team. Clemson's just a really really good team. But anyways, Georgia Tech just has a lot of playmakers. I think I think they they show out this game. So I'm taking Georgia Tech. I'm taking Boston College on this one. Uh, and the reason I am is because they're – I think they're a pretty good team. I mean, they've – they beat Pitt. They only lost North Carolina by four. You know, it's – like Sam said earlier, Tex, I don't really want to call it inconsistency, but it's just like some games they come out there and look great, and then some days they – come out there like Syracuse, you know. Um, it's almost yeah, like they're yeah. inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, for that reason, I'm going to take Boston College. All righty. So, we got Carolina back on the slate. We pick Carolina games every week, which is good. They're a seven-point dog uh, going to Baton Rouge against LSU. Obviously, if Miles Brennan does not play this game, I don't think LSU's got a chance. Um, but I think, I think Carolina can run the wall well enough to possess it, win time of possession, uh, Colin Hill just got to stay away from from throwing outside. Luckily, Shai Smith is going to be in the slot. I just I just feel like LSU is not going to be physical enough with a backup quarterback. No shot they're able to to hang with them even with Terrace Marshall. Um, so I'm I'm taking Carolina here. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. We shall. I'm see. taking I'm taking Carolina for the second week. I, I really like rooting for these guys. They're an easy team to root for. Um, I like to see them getting better and. I think you can game plan enough away from Stingley. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of other playmakers on defense. So I, I think you got to feed my boy, Kevin Harris. I've been talking about him all year. I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm taking Carolina. Yeah. He's hungry. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it's going to really depend on, depend on South Carolina, you know, sticking to the run. LSU's defensive line is not great. Uh, South Carolina's offensive line in, in run blocking has, has been pretty good this year so far. And then Colin Hill, he just has to keep 
you know, not putting the ball into trouble and the defense has to shut down whoever, whichever freshman they, they will probably start if, if Brennan's out. So taking South Carolina. Uh, this game, <clears throat> I can't uh, – It's. I wish we could pick this game later on because, um, honestly, if Miles Brennan was in there, I would. I think I would pick LSU just because they had a bye week. They've had two weeks to prepare for Carolina. But the, f- the fact to have your, you know, your starting QB in an offense is, I wouldn't say struggling, but not where they were last year, obviously. You know, it's hard to it's hard to say. So I think I'm gonna go uh South Carolina on this one now. I like it. Yeah. I love the matchup with, with JC Warren and Terrace Marshall, by the way. Yeah, I absolutely. Think I think that's a great one. One more thing before we move on from this one. This is the same LSU defense that allowed a freshman from Missouri to have as many touchdowns as incompletions a couple weeks ago. So Colin Hill nice. looking for a big game for you, my man. So back to the Big Ten. Minnesota and Michigan, a couple of ranked teams here. Uh, Michigan, three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Um, I don't think they have a chance. I think P.J. Fleck, Minnesota, I think they're going to give them the business. Um, I got Minnesota by two scores. I agree. Minnesota is one of the better teams in the Big Ten, and Michigan's always overrated. You know, they always try to be Ohio State, and they're not. So I'm taking (laughs) Minnesota as well. Yeah, I, P.J. Fleck does a really nice job of – they're just a solid football team, and they don't have, like, the most flashy guys out there, biggest playmakers, but they do get some nice guys from the south. Um, and I think they're going to be a tough team for a lot of uh, Big Ten squads this year to play. So I'm taking P.J. Fleck in, in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Minnesota, I love – PJ, I think PJ Fleck is, is a really good up and coming coach in that league for sure. He's already brought them up to, you know, Sam said earlier, the second best team behind Ohio State in, in that conference. So, you know, I'm taking Minnesota. Yeah. One thing to point out with Minnesota, their quarterback, Tanner Morgan, was the uh, second highest graded quarterback uh, in the Big Ten, just slightly behind Justin Fields, despite trailing him significantly in most offensive categories. Um, they've also got – they lost Tyler Johnson, who was a really good receiver, but Rashad Bateman, a guy from South Georgia, he's a, uh, he's a complete beast, um, probably going to be a first-round pick. He opted out in the summer, uh, but he said, nah, hold on, I'm, I'm finna play some football. So, you know. All right, getting into the game of the week. Uh, we got a little AAC action going on. Um, SMU and Cincinnati, top 15 matchup here. Cincinnati and Luke Fickle have a really, really good defense. I believe they're still top 10 in the country. Uh, and SMU with Shane Bouchelle, they're a freaking offensive juggernaut. It seems like every week they've got a different receiver that's catching 150 yards, two touchdowns, and it's just it's just a rotation of guys. Uh, if there's anything we've seen this year, it's that elite offense beats elite defense. I got SMU. Yeah, I, I almost was – I was – Really close to flipping right here to Cincinnati. Like you said, with Fickle and everything that going, they have going, they're just a solid program right now in that conference. But like you said, offenses right now are just putting up lots of points, and it's it's kind of a boat race in a lot of games. So. Yeah, I I agree with that. This, this is – it's going to be a really good game because Cincinnati does have a really good defense. 
But SMU, they, they put up a bunch of yards. They put up a bunch of points. They also give up a decent amount of points. And Cincinnati's offense hasn't, hasn't been super great. You know, their quarterback, six touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, nothing special in the running game. So, I, I, I agree with you all. I think offense, offense over everything right here, and I'm taking SMU. Yeah, I got SMU. Yeah, Jacob, you mentioned uh, Cincinnati's quarterback. Desmond Ritter is a guy I talked about a couple times uh, early on this season. Uh, had a really, really good freshman year. Last year as a sophomore was pretty good. Uh, thus far, he has uh, not shown a whole lot through three games. Um, so, if you're going to beat SMU, you're going to have to score a lot of points. So, he's going to have to be better. I uh, yeah. don't think that will happen this week. So, uh, that's it. Like I said, uh, last week we had a tie for first. Sid and Jacob uh, managed to tie. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna give them their uh, their minute here at the end. Take it away, Jacob. Go ahead. I mean, all I have to say, you know, South Carolina, huge win. Hopefully they keep it rolling. You know, hopefully they end up going eight and two. That's probably not gonna happen, but the way the SEC is turning out this year, it could happen. So you know, Cox by ninety every week. I'm sorry, Davini, but I was kind of glad to see Georgia lose. <laughs> just there's just something I just don't like about Georgia. And I wonder then, what it is. <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully at some point Clemson's gonna fall off. And when they do, I hope they fall off hard. Um yeah. I just want to bring up the fact about the Braves absolutely blowing a three-one lead. That hurts. Um, we were pretty optimistic every week about our Braves moving on to a new series. So thanks, Dansby and Austin Riley. And I won't keep name dropping, but that's tough. And then I agree, Jacob. I fell asleep, to be honest with you, at halftime because I was just like, well, I, I we're about to sit here and watch Georgia just beat Alabama, and it's going to be tough. And then I woke up, and Alabama was just – doing what they were doing on offense. So that was nice to see. I'm not saying I want Clemson to fall off hard as much as you do. I think Clemson's going to be a good team for a really long time. I am looking forward to the days of where they don't have the best quarterback and running back in that backfield um, at the same time. That'll be refreshing to see. So uh, I will hope for a little bit of QB struggles next year. And uh, I do hope somebody gets Dabo and gives him a little taste of his own medicine. So that's that's all I got. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what we have to say about college football for this week. I hope all you out there enjoyed. And peace. Deuces. Actually, before we leave, if you've made it this far, shout out Spencer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shout out Spencer. Yeah, shout out Spencer. We heard you're a big fan. <laughs> And shout out to my mom because she listens oh. intently to all the episodes. Also, thanks, Mama T. <laughs> yeah, shout out Mama T as well. All right, everybody. Peace.